Welcome back, my friend, and welcome to episode 16 of this Bible study podcast, Reading Through the Gospel of Luke. I am so glad you're here with me again today, and we've got a long section of reading to get through today. we got Luke chapter 7, verse 36, through chapter 8, verse 21. I think this might be the longest section we've got so far. So plain to say, let's get right into it. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. A Pharisee invited him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now there was a sinful woman in the city who learned that he was at table in the house of the Pharisee. Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days wages, and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, The one, I suppose, whose larger debt was forgiven. He said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she has bathed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, hence she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. He said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The others at table said to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Afterward, he journeyed from one town and village to another, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Accompanying him were the twelve and some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. When a large crowd gathered, with people from one town after another journeying to him, he spoke in a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and was trampled, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky ground, and when it grew, it withered for lack of moisture. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some seed fell on good soil, and when it grew, produced fruit a hundredfold. After saying this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. Then his disciples asked him what the meaning of this parable might be, and he answered, Knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to the rest they are made known through parables, so that they may look but not see, and hear but not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those on the path are the ones who have heard, but the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no root. They believe only for a time and fall away in time of trial. As for the seed that fell among thorns, they are the ones who have heard, 
But as they go along, they are choked by the anxieties and riches and pleasures of life, and they fail to produce mature fruit. But as for the seed that fell on rich soil, they are the ones who, when they've heard the word, embrace it with a generous and good heart and bear fruit through perseverance. No one who lights a lamp conceals it with a vessel or sets it under a bed. Rather, he places it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not become visible and nothing secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. To anyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he seems to have will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but were unable to join him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they wish to see you. He said to them in reply, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and act on it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, got a lot to say here. Lots of different sections. Let's get into it. Okay, we begin with the story of pardoning a sinful woman. So we begin with Jesus being invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner. This isn't the first time we'll see this. It'll happen a few more times later. Uh, we get a sense that these the Pharisees are trying to figure out who Jesus is. Trying to see if he's legit. Trying to see what his, his agenda is. So Jesus gets invited over for dinner. And then I, I kind of, I guess I want to say this as like a Bible comparison of this this story that we that we just read about pardoning a sinful woman. So uh, in Matthew and Mark, in Matthew twenty six and Mark fourteen, there is another story about a woman with an alabaster jar of ointment, uh, but it's a it's a slightly different story. It's talking about her anointing Jesus. Uh, with this this costly jar of ointment, and in some ways it's it's right before like the Last Supper and kind of a, a pre burial anointment of sorts, and we also see a few di- another difference in the stories would be that um, in Matthew and Mark's story they're at the house of Simon the leper, and in Luke's story they're at the house of Simon the Pharisee, but there is not another version of this story in Luke like the version where uh, the woman anoints Jesus in the same way, kind of before burial. So there might be kind of a conflation of the two stories, or this might be uh, the same story told in kind of a different way to fit Luke's narrative gospel, as we've talked about. But we're going to read it, and we're going we're gonna to find its place in the story as if it happened as told in the time when it was in the story. That's that's how we'll we'll approach this story. Uh, so there's a sinful woman who comes, uh, she finds Jesus and that he's eating at the Pharisee's house. She brings this this alabaster jar of ointment, uh, this oil that she brings with her. It says she bathed his feet with her tears and she kisses and anoints his feet. This is the <laughs> I mean this is the perfect image for us of humility and contrition. This model of repentance and like really just being contrite about our wrongdoing, about our sin. That we find this woman incredibly contrite, weeping, bathing Jesus' feet with her tears, kissing his feet. And someone's like begging for this repentance and this contrition of heart. And maybe we should be the same way. Uh, and that's what we should strive for in our contrition after sin. And kind of a note on who this woman might be. It's often understood that this woman would be Mary Magdalene. 
and we'll hear Mary Magdalene's name mentioned. And we, we did just hear it mentioned uh, in the beginning of chapter 8. So the proximity of the two in Luke's gospel, uh, maybe we would consider that this would be Mary Magdalene, someone who's sinned pretty greatly, as we as we'll, we just read, uh, but comes to repentance and comes to follow Jesus. Uh, but the Pharisee clearly and, and says audibly that he thinks negatively of the woman, sees her as a sinner, and therefore in some way sees Jesus negatively in his association with this sinner. He says, uh, what sort of woman is this? As if like sinner is a species of human being. Uh seeing, fully identifying the woman with her sin in some ways, which is which is so wrong. Jesus replies and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I admit when I first read, when I first read this, and it may be confusing upon first reading, uh, I thought that Jesus was talking to like Simon Peter, like the Pharisee mumbled something under his breath, and then Jesus turned to the side and said, hey, Simon, I've got a message for you. And kind of like third person said something, like passively towards the towards the Pharisee, but uh, we understand the Pharisee's name is Simon. It's Simon the Pharisee. He's talking to the Pharisee. He responds to Jesus, says, "Tell me, teacher," which maybe is sarcasm <laughs> because we just read that he like thinks negatively about Jesus. So maybe it's like a "Tell me, teacher," or maybe he doesn't he doesn't think too highly of Jesus. We just kind of heard, but Jesus tells this story, a parable of sorts, about two men who have debts. One has a massive debt of 500 days wages. One is a slightly smaller debt of 50 days wages. Both are pretty significant debts, uh, but both are totally forgiven of their debts. And he asks, who in that forgiveness will uh, will experience more? And the answer, of course, as we know, in the message that Jesus gives us is that larger forgiveness essentially leads to larger love that the more we are forgiven, the more we come to love. And I think this is so true in our experience of how we encounter the vastness of God's love. And I think this is part of the incredible mystery of how God brings about good and how God brings about his love into the world, even in the midst of our brokenness and our sin. Because like at the, the farther down we go, if we come to encounter God's mercy, how the the contrast is so so incredible. Like if we are really rock bottom and God lifts us out of that place with his mercy, how vast is the heart of God? How incredible is God's mercy? So the larger the forgiveness, the more that God brings us out of this hole that we are in, the contrast of that just shows to us and reveals to us the vast heart of God and his mercy, which I think is so true and is such a, a beautiful way that God reveals his mercy and his love to the world. And then Jesus says this, and he begins to talk, uh, compare the Pharisee and the woman. He says, when I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she has bathed them with her tears. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet. What's Jesus talking about here is customary hospitality practices. Uh, that when you would have someone for dinner, that some customary practices, like ritual practices of hospitality, would be things like greeting the guest with a kiss, washing their feet, anointing their head. And look at Jesus calling out the ritually committed Pharisee, Pharisees who are so nitpicky about following customs and ritual practices, who, when Jesus came to his house, forgot the ritual welcoming moves, <laughs> like hospitality moves, 
of greeting with a kiss, washing their feet, anointing their head. What hypocrisy. (laughs) Jesus calls him out for being a hypocrite here that he failed to, he who is so ritually committed failed to acknowledge and follow through on those ritual practices when an individual Jesus was in front of him. Maybe because there was some bias. Maybe because the Pharisee already was a little biased towards Jesus and said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to follow through on welcoming this guest appropriately. Maybe we fall into this situation sometimes where there's things that we know we should do, but like, ah, because I got some kind of like anger towards this person or in some kind of weird retaliatory way, I'm, I'm not going to do this good thing that I really ought to do towards them. Maybe we need to check our, <laughs> I need to check my heart in the same way. And Jesus says, the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. I think that this is for us as well, acknowledging our brokenness, and our need for salvation. Because if we don't, if we think that we're just self-sufficient and we don't need forgiveness and we don't need salvation, then it leads us not to love God. And if we don't love God, then we are dismissing the thing that we are truly made for. So the, if we are forgiven little, if we don't acknowledge that brokenness, we're, we're led to nothing. But the more that we encounter our brokenness, this is kind of the mystery that Jesus is talking about. We encounter our brokenness, we encounter our sin, acknowledge it and present it to the Lord we receive his mercy and forgiveness and his love, how much more can we love God in return? And Jesus shows that mercy to the woman and forgives her sins. This is the second time we've seen this, where Jesus has uh, like explicitly used his power and said, I've has forgiven someone's sins. Both times have been around the Pharisees, which is interesting. And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And in some way, Jesus is saying, faith The faith of an individual leads to their forgiveness, faith in the power of Jesus, and that forgiveness leads to peace. And this, again, is is true for us. And I think, uh, I guess the reflective pieces I read through this, what I was left with, because I think this is a really incredible story, uh, as it's taken up like most of our episode already, just reading through it, is like, for me, have I reflected on God's mercy? Not Not just like in general what it is, but for me particularly, For me individually, how has God's mercy worked in my life in incredible ways? Like me in my brokenness, God pulling me out of that and blessing me, even though I am sinful and broken and weak. Uh, I think it's always a good thing to reflect on the incredible, vast mercy of God for me as an individual. So we move to chapter eight. Okay, God, there's a lot to say there. But chapter eight begins uh, with a few more individuals named. So we're we're now getting a, a larger picture of who is all with Jesus at this point. We named the 12 a little bit before, but now we have the 12 and some women who are named. So there's three particularly named. Mary Magdalene, uh, who again, like we just said, maybe just saw her previously. It says, from whom seven demons had gone out. There's no real story behind that anywhere in the Gospels uh, of when or how that happened, but we know it happened and assume that it happened because of Jesus and then she follows him. And we know, if we know, if we've read the story before, how important a role Mary Magdalene will play in the future and we'll come to see that. Joanna is the second one named. It says she's the wife of Herod's steward, which is interesting because we'll we'll read in a little bit how Herod is not, not really a big fan of Jesus. So someone so connected to Herod 
kind of left, I guess, left her husband to follow Jesus in this way. Uh, but there's there's no prior connection of how that happens or mention of where Joanna came from. And she's only listed in Luke's gospel right here in this moment and then one time later on. And then Susanna, who there, <laughs> there's no other details about before or after, no other mention of Susanna anywhere. And it also says many other women who followed. And if we look at some of the other gospels, uh, women like Salome or Salome, uh, who's the mother of, of James and John is mentioned to be with Jesus at points. Uh, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, like Mary and Martha is mentioned at points and some at other places and maybe just assumed would be Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary of Nazareth is probably with Jesus at certain points along the journey as well. And it says that what they did is they provided for them, as in Jesus and the Twelve, provided for them out of their resources, which is important because of the complementary complementarity of men and women. And God knows a group of 13 men traveling together certainly needs some nurturing. So thank God that some women came along to help out the boys. Uh, then we have the parable of the sower. So it says that a crowd gathered, big crowd from all sorts of places, and Jesus tells a parable. He tells it, and then afterwards explains it. It's one of the one of the few in the Gospels that Jesus like explains exactly what the parable means. So we'll just go over it in brief. So he says the sower went out to sow some seed. The sower is Jesus, uh, and the seed he says is the word, the word of God, the proclamation of the kingdom, the gospel. And then he says, the seed is sowed in various soils. So there's four mentioned. One is the path. Sowed on the path, uh, which gets trampled and eaten by birds. And Jesus says, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So the path is kind of like a, both a lack of a lack of openness, I would say, and a lack of foundation. That someone who receives the word with without openness to it and without any sure foundation. And that leads to, Jesus says, no fruit at all. (laughs) Second soil is rocky ground, where Jesus says it grows a little bit, but it withers for lack of moisture in the rocky ground. And he says, they receive the word with joy, uh, but they have no root and they believe only for a time and fall away in time of trial. So I would say that this, this person is maybe open open to to God's word. There's some openness there, but certainly no real foundation. Without good foundation, they have withered fruit. So some fruit, but it, it doesn't grow very well and withers away. Third soil would be in the midst of thorns. And the thorns essentially choke it, choke the fruit as it grows, choke the seed as it grows. Jesus says that these individuals are choked by the anxieties and riches and pleasures of life. So this, this is an individual who maybe has some, some openness to receiving the word and maybe some decent foundation as well underneath them, but they're in a bad environment. And the anxieties and riches and pleasures of life and all the temptations around them and the influence cause them to bear an immature fruit uh, that maybe grows up a little bit, but is, is choked out and can't grow up to its full potential. The fourth is good soil, rich soil, which produces fruit a hundredfold. Jesus says they heard the word and embrace it with a generous and good heart. Someone who has openness to the word, sure foundation, good environment, and grows with perseverance and bears good fruit. This is, I think this is always a good 
reflective parable for us of where are we? Uh, what, what kind of soil are we receiving the word of God with? Where, are, where do we sit and how do we change our soil? Like if we find ourselves maybe uh, just totally not open at all, if we're on the path, then how do we maybe move along a little bit, at least into rocky ground? And if we find ourselves with no sure foundation, how can we get better foundation? If we find ourselves in a bad environment, how do we get out of that environment and those bad influences and hopefully come to a place of peace and security and openness to God's word so we can receive it in good soil? And Jesus says uh, to the people, whoever has ears to hear ought to hear, which I, th- I think essentially means in some way, if you know what I'm saying, good for you. And take it to heart. Because Jesus then says to the disciples when they ask him about it, he says, Knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom are made known through parables so that they may look but not see and hear but not understand. That last little bit is a quote from the prophet Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. And Jesus references this again a few times in the gospel in kind of varying ways, but essentially what the context for that quote is in Isaiah chapter 6 is God God speaking to Isaiah that people would people will in his prophecy in the words that God gives the prophets people would hear and see the things but not understand them and not really receive them well kind of as as Jesus is just talking about in this parable um but yet God instructed Isaiah to still go out and preach even though they wouldn't receive it, to be persistent in it, and that hopefully a few would receive it, even though um, many would not, and it would be to their downfall, but to be persistent. And God still tells Isaiah to go, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing, that he's preaching the word, he's preaching the good news, uh, even on bad soil, even to people who aren't in a place to receive it, people who don't receive it themselves, or maybe, and I think we'll see this pretty often in kind of the story of the gospel, is that there are people who will receive the word, but are kind of in, in the thorny ground, that the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders are the bad influence, the people who kind of dismiss Jesus' words uh, and choke up the faith of everyone else around them. So we see this in, this is kind of an example for Jesus' preaching too, but very much something that we can take away as well. Okay, this this episode this episode's getting long. So the next next three um, verses, sixteen through eighteen, are an interesting progression. And I'll I'll make just like a a very short note about a so two Latin phrases: ipsissima verba versus ipsissima vox or vox, like verba v e r b a and vox v o x. The distinction is uh, the first is like the precise words of Jesus. Ipsissima verba, the precise words of Jesus, versus ipsissima vox, are like the the general words of Jesus or things that Jesus would say often. I think the latter is what we find in these three verses because, um, interestingly, the words of verse sixteen are also found in Luke chapter eleven verse thirty three. Words of verse seventeen are also found in Luke twelve chapter two, and the words of verse eighteen are also found in Luke chapter 19, verse 26. Uh, so I, when I read this, I think I'm curious if this really is precisely what Jesus said here 
or if Luke kind of just threw in a couple of extra like general sayings of Jesus because I mean as I read through it it doesn't flow super well right out of what Jesus just said uh, about the parable of the sower uh, but it's there and we can get some things from it but it doesn't flow and doesn't progress super well so just three things essentially about the, th- the three verses uh, one that God's light is meant to shine and not to be cut personal not to be hidden but meant for us to let it shine two Uh, that everything will eventually be known. Uh, Jesus is kind of saying eventually there will be no secrets. Everything will be brought to the light. And three, the more you receive, the more you receive. And the less you receive, the less you receive. So as we hear God's word, and if you receive it well, we'll be given more. If we don't receive it well, we'll be be given less, as if we didn't get anything. However those connect, I'm I'm not sure if they connect super well, but they're there. And that's, I'll kind of just leave it there. So we can wrap this, get this episode wrapped up. So finally, verse 19 through 21, it says his mother and brothers came to him. So kind of just finally a distinction about Jesus's family. So mother is definitely Mary, who if if we, we, we see, we read this, that this is maybe the first time that Jesus has seen his mother since like chapter three or chapter four. But also says brothers, uh, and this is kind of a, a dispute a disputed thing if people as if you read this literally but the the greek here for brothers is the same word that would be used for like cousins or relatives which is probably the case because we have uh understanding uh, theological understanding of mary being a perpetual virgin that she uh, never would have had other kids and we definitely do not need to hash that out right now but just the understanding that brothers would be like cousins or relatives but that mary's there as well and they say, your mother and brother are here. Jesus responds, my mother and brother are those who hear the word of God and act on it. At first glance, it kind of sounds a little bit like a rejection or a dismissal of Jesus's like family and his mother. But we, I guess we know that it couldn't be because Mary is 100% included in that category of people who hear God's word and act on it, like for sure the model of sorts. So not really a rejection or dismissal, but I would say more an invitation from Jesus. That Jesus isn't saying like, oh, those aren't those aren't my family. My family are only people who hear my word and act on it and they don't do that. I think what he's saying is that if we hear God's word and act on it, then Jesus in some way gives us family ties. <laughs> we become a part of the family of God. Uh, family with Jesus Christ tied to him if we are faithful and if we obey and hear God's word and act on it. There we go. That's the whole section. Wow. Okay. Summary of everything. God's mercy is incredible. Incredible story of pardoning the sinful woman. Uh, We heard a few more people traveling with Jesus, particularly the woman and kind of overall the theme of receptivity to God's word. The call for us, uh, echoing from the Sermon on the Plain a few days ago, hearing God's word and acting on it. May we do the same thing. Again, as we are now 16 episodes deep into this podcast series, reading through, we're on on chapter 8 of Luke's Gospel now, as we've heard God's word, how well are we acting on it? How well are we changed? How well has this been really affecting our lives to make us better? I hope that that is true, and I hope that uh, this is, make a difference in your life because it certainly is for me. Thank you so much for being here with me. Wow, so much to say. Can't wait to do this with you again tomorrow. Let's pray.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.